I got to JFK and you know, you could check in, you can really do everything online before, you know, it gets to passport check. I get to the line, the guy looks at me, looks at my passport and is like, um, you know, you're going to a foreign country and, and this passport is, it's expired. And I was like, oh my God, don't worry about it. I talked to the embassy in Kingston. They're giving me a notarized track, full confidence. And he looks at me and is like, okay. In this episode, we're going to talk about what it's like to travel to Jamaica with an expired passport, how race and skin tone can affect your experiences, and the beauty of how people help one another despite their race and skin tone. Arrogance can most definitely be bliss, but not when it comes to your passport. You're listening to the Travel Horror Stories podcast, a show that listens to real stories from travel bloggers and travelers just like you. Then we unpack those stories to discuss safety tricks, prevention treats, horror hacks, and follow-up tactics. The goal is to turn travel nightmares into dreams of beaches, sunshine, and margaritas. And as always, you can head over to TravelHorrorStoriesPodcast.com for this and all the previous episodes, their show notes, and links to all the other places you enjoy listening to podcasts. If you're listening via Apple Podcasts, don't forget to give the episode a five-star rating and leave a comment because that will help more people find the show. And now, live from the Rudderless Travel Studio in downtown Toronto, Canada, here's your host, Christopher Rudderless. The weather outside is hashtag winter is coming as we are midway through November. Just a little disclaimer, this episode was recorded in May and we were in a very different place regarding vaccines. But now things are looking up. Anyways, we got a huge episode today and we got a lot of things to talk about. So without further ado, let's jump right in and get to it. So with me again, returning is Catherine Parker Magyar and with the blog of the same name. How are you doing? Welcome back. I'm so excited to dive into another one of your stories. How you been doing? I'm good. You know, I think last time we talked, I just torn my ACL. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yes. Now I'm back up and moving. I got my second COVID shot and I'm just feeling, you know, this is it's spring. I'm a whole new woman. <laughs> 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 that sounds like like the title of an Oprah magazine. Um, <laughs> it's spring. I'm a whole new woman. <laughs> you know, and you caught me on a positive day. Awesome. But you know what? Last time I talked to you, you were very positive then, too. So I think generally speaking, I think it's safe to say that you're generally a positive person. You know, I, I do try to be. I think, you know, not to not to make it too relevant to your podcast, but I think that when you're traveling a lot, you need to be positive. And I think that it makes you just overall positive in general because you get to like be in worse experiences than worse and better experiences than being confined to your couch. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your blog for those who missed the first time that you were here? Yes. Yeah, so I don't have a blog, but I have a website, which is just katherineparkermagyar.com where I compile all of the stories I've written about my travels. So as a travel writer, I've been to 64 countries, all 50 states, 
And I write for a variety of publications, including, you know, Departures, Architectural Digest, Daily Beast, Trip Savvy, Forbes, World Travel Magazine, um, really all over. And yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Katherine Parker Magyar. And hopefully when travel reopens, I'll be going to these crazy places again. In the interim, <laughs> I've been focusing on road trips, national parks. And, you know, I really, I feel like travel though, I almost feel like reading travel stories when you can't travel is sort of transporting in a way, because I mean, I feel like now more than ever, people want to remember that there's good in the world and there's wonder in the world. And it's hard to feel, you know, motivated or optimistic when you're stuck in your little corner for year plus at this point. Yeah, no kidding. Um, At least like for me, I also, I include a lot of videos in are with my uh, travel website. So, um, you know, I've been trying to go back and improve some of the SEO on some of my videos. And uh, it's just nice to just be like, oh, yeah, that time when I was there, that was yeah. nice. <laughs> that it was is. such a long time ago. Oh, that that meal that I'm eating right there. Oh, it'll be so good to have that right now. Yeah. So there is a little bit of nostalgia. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I started to tra- my travel website is so I can look back at it, I guess. In times like this, when there's a pandemic, I can look back at all the places I've been to. So yeah, and no, I totally hear you. Um, no, that's awesome. So let's let's get in. Oh wait, we need to play a game. What am I doing? We're getting into yeah. the story. It's not playing a game. Jeez, and this is the game that you absolutely love playing too. Okay, so I do love this game. All right, so we're gonna play three stories, two truths, one lie. You're gonna give me three stories. Two of them are going to be true. One of them's going to be a lie. Um, the last time you won, so you're up one. And I'm currently down one. So let's see if we could turn the tables here. Perfect. All right. So two truths and a lie. I trekked the Appalachian Trail from New Jersey to Maine. I hiked to the highest lodges in the world in Peru. And I survived the most dangerous or most challenging hike in the Caribbean in Dominica. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, what's this Appalachian Trail from New Jersey to Maine? Yes. I don't know. That just doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> it's the Appalachian Trail. Like you're talking New Jersey as in the States? Yep. To Maine? Mm-hmm. Where's Maine? Maine's on the East Coast. Northeast. Damn. Oh, man. <laughs> now I see why you like this game so much. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? Um, okay, I'm just going to just say that that's possible because I'm thinking where New Jersey is and where Maine is. And I imagine, uh, I guess that could be possible. Maine is in New York State and New Jersey is beside New York State. So, um, I don't know. I'm just going to just go against my gut. And I'm just going to say that that Jamaican story, um, that hike is is a lie. Okay, so you should have stuck with your gut because Appalachia was a lie. The Appalachian Trail. I didn't even, I know it goes up and down the east. But like, I was like, can I take it from New Jersey to Maine? And if I did, I feel like it would have taken weeks and weeks. It would have been like some ratchet version of like Cheryl's Cheryl's Wild. But I actually I did the most dangerous hike or 
it's, you know, it's funny because I wanted to advertise it as the most dangerous, but you know, people are like, really think of it as like the most challenging um, in Dominica, which is one of my favorite islands in the Caribbean. Sorry, I said um, Jamaica, right. Dominica. Yes. Dominica. And so basically, if you can envision the interior of Yellowstone, of Yellowstone, where, you know, you have these like geysers and these like insane volcanic flats. That is what I did in Dominica, except for there is no like yellow tape, you know, it was <laughs> but it was only like three miles, but it was just crazy. It was like an eight hour hike. It started to rain. I was in Morantra National Park, which is the UNESCO World Heritage Site. And so, you know, you have the Boiling Lake, which is the second largest in the world after um, the Frying Pan Lake in New Zealand. And I had the most unbelievable host. His name is Marvin Filbert. And he is a, I think he's actually a Dominican legend. Because if you ever read about Dominica and you read about these hikes and stuff, I feel like Marvin Filbert is the man to go with. And he just like told me, he was hilarious. Like we passed a freshwater lake. He was like, oh, this is little England. And like knew all the different, he knew everything about everything. And it was, and my friend Mia was on it with me. But yeah, that was, it was amazing because, you know, nowadays in a lot of these national parks, everything is sort of cordoned off. Mm, but in yeah. Dominica, I think we passed maybe two other people. And I don't know, I did a natural, um, a natural mud math, mud mask where we were taking some of the mud, exfoliating. I was drinking fresh water out of leaves. You know, wow. it was spectacular. Wow, I that's... That is cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, like how here, like in North America, they they put up fences everywhere and block off all these things. And then you go to some other countries and all that stuff is just free and open for everybody. Um, what we might consider dangerous and not to go. Um, I mean, what our park people might consider dangerous, like over there, it's just like, hey, man, do whatever. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really cool. Well, you need a guy. It could be dangerous if you were, I imagine that you can set off by yourself, but I, number one, have no idea why you would when you can like have a, someone who's from Dominica give you a sense of everything. But yeah, I would really recommend a guide also because, you know, you can just be wandering along and then there's going to be some boiling little stream. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Especially with names like, uh, like you said in New Zealand, like frying pan, like, yeah. <laughs> like damn it. So- spectacular it was they call desolation valley one of the parts that we went through oh my god i highly recommend yeah dust yeah the valley of desolation and it's like 2950 feet it's amazing you go up this mountaintop so i survived that and i did hike to the highest lodges in the world in peru with on our with this um track with andy and lodges and rei which was just like the coolest and (laughs) Stopped at like 16,000 feet. So, you know, I would argue that's maybe as challenging as the Appalachian Trail if you take the if you take it slow, but I I haven't done the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Coast Trail. So that was just a flat out lie on my part. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think by the time we're done here, you're gonna have like a clean sweep. Um, yeah. Well played. Okay. All right. I'm going to try next time. Um, wow. Thank you so much for playing that game. And I think six miles is, uh, yeah, I don't know how much that is in kilometers, maybe nine kilometers. I don't know, I'm just guessing at this point, 12. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I really- 
Definitely. Uh, I, I think, I think, as I said, with all my other American friends, I think you guys are the only people that still use that metric system. So I don't think anyone else knows what that is. I, know. so. I find it really hard writing about travel too, because if you go, if you look anything up or any of the notes I take, I usually, I just write down like the kilometers, the meters, and then on the back end, I'm just calculating back to miles, which nobody cares about, but us. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, awesome. Great. I love I love your little stories. These are they're fantastic. Um, awesome. Okay, so let's dive into uh, your story. So um, this has to do with either you forgetting your passport or losing your passport. And this took place in Jamaica. So before you get into how all that happened, what inspired you to go to Jamaica? I mean, um, I've been to Jamaica. I know why people want to go there. It's a really um, beautiful island. Uh, my my parents are from Barbados, so, um, you know, it's not too far uh, island-wise. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful place. So, but what inspired you to go? So some people, particularly, I grew up on the East Coast in New Jersey, and the Caribbean is super close. But growing up, because my parents aren't really beach people, we never really went. And I mean, that is such Wait, a, don't you have the Jersey Shore? <laughs> yeah, oh, please. That is perfect because there's so much more. We talked about this, I think, even last time. There's so much more to the Caribbean than just than the beaches. Of course. And I, go to Jamaica for a couple of reasons. One was that I think that like the history of Jamaica is so fascinating. And, you know, I'd been reading a little, I've been reading about like the history and the culture. And then a couple books, sort of, I read them back to back, but I read Life by Keith Richards, which you'd be okay. like, how does that lead you to Jamaica? But he recorded a ton in Jamaica. And there are two chapters just only really on the music scene in Jamaica. And then I found out, you know, Johnny Cash is there huge fan of Bob Marley. And I knew, I knew about the history with the, you know, Slaver's Bay was the, the wickedest place in the world. And then there was a peaceful sit down because there, because people and some Jamaicans heard word back that the British parliament was considering abolishing slavery. So they believed that slavery had been abolished and they were being held. I mean, regardless, held immorally and illegally against their will. So there was a mm -hmm. peaceful sit down all across the country, a peaceful protest. And then horrible demonstrations afterwards, but I just, I just was fascinated by Jamaica. I knew there were the blue mountains. So it was very much a deliberate thing on my end. Like I need to go to Jamaica. And I was living and working in New York city. And it was right around the time when we had polar vortexes. I think it was the winter after the polar vortex. And my roommate, Dana Grishan at the time we were talking and it was like, I cannot live another New York city winter without getting to the tropics. So Dana, Taylor, and I decided that we were going to do a long weekend in Jamaica. I planned this whole trip. I planned every little part about it, except for <laughs> looking at the date of expiration on my passport. Oh, no. Uh. <laughs> I know. But so what happened was this, is that it was Friday afternoon, and I was leaving my desk job, my, leaving my desk to go to JFK. And before I even, I just, you know, when you know something is wrong, but you don't want to confirm that something is wrong. So you just 
oh my gosh, I totally know that feeling. Cause I don't uh, even want to uh, like accept, like if I know, if I look into it, then I'm going to find something wrong. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, I wish we could say that I've conquered this fear, but I think my email <laughs> inbox tells a different story. Like I'll flag an email and I'm like, I feel this is important, but I'm like, oh, if I open it and it's really stressful. And honestly, I was playing that game with my passport and I took a look and this was before I was a professional travel writer. And my passport was expired, a year expired. And on top of that, I, as a New York City resident, I'd lost my driver's license at some point in my life. And I never bothered to get another one because I wasn't driving. So I, thinking back to it, I'm not even sure what form of ID I was using at this time. But so I had no driver's license, an expired passport. I immediately, you know, in this situation, like, how, what am I going to do? I call my dad. <laughs> And I'm like, what do you think I should do? He's like, okay, well, you look it up on your end. I'm going to look it up on my end. And I looked online and I got the number for the embassy in Kingston. So I call up the embassy and I'm like, hi, I have this situation. I have a problem. I am supposed to be going to Jamaica tonight, but I actually, my, my passport is expired. And um, the lovely man at the embassy was like, oh, don't worry, miss. You could come in tomorrow. We can get you a notarized travel letter. Well, hold I- on one second. Hold on. So um, first of all, for those who missed the last time that Catherine was on this show, uh, her father is the same person who, while Catherine was getting strip searched for her knives and stuff, um, her dad was off to the side, completely pretending like he doesn't know who she is. Anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, yeah. So, Not wanting to go down with the ship because he had a sword on him as well. <laughs> that's right. So if you missed that episode, do go back um, and and listen to that one. Uh, I'll leave that in the show notes. It's a great one. Uh, but so so did your passport expire? When did your passport expire? Like while you already left the states? Because I mean, uh, obviously they need to look at your passport before you leave. So where yeah. did it expire? I noticed at my desk, I took out my passport case and I noticed that it it had been expired for over a year. So you didn't even leave the country yet? No, I noticed (laughs) in New York. And so this is where some people would be like, well, that's why you shouldn't go. But I called the embassy. I didn't get the name of this wonderful man. That is the first mistake and the last mistake I'll ever make on this front, at least. (laughs) Whenever you talk to someone, get their first name get their last name. Like particularly, I mean, this goes beyond travel. This is health insurance as well. If someone tells you things are chill, you can make sure that you've got their name so that you can relay to the next person. So-and-so told me things were chill. So I'm like, this guy is like, oh, it's never been to Jamaica, miss. Oh, don't worry, miss. You will have, you will have a great time, you know? And I hear his accent and I'm like, oh, transport me there. And I'm like, mm, maybe this will work out. I call back my dad. And he's like, all right, Kate, it's looking extremely sketchy. And my dad works in government as well. This why, well, he also was sort of like, you know, a partner in misadventures with me. Hence, he was my first port of call. I did not call my mom because I knew she would be like, number one, you're an idiot. How did you book this flight? <laughs> valid passport. Number two, how are you figuring that out right now? My dad was like, all right, it looks like they let you into Jamaica but it looks like you it looks like you might not be able to get out. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't think you'll be able to get out of the country, you know, without a passport. And I was like, all right, all right, I don't know. He was like, what did the embassy say? And I was like, oh, the embassy was super nice about it. And I was like, what would you do, dad? And he's like, oh, 
He's like, don't ask me that. I'm like, what do you do? And he was like, have you been to Jamaica before? And I was like, no, I haven't. He's like, you planned the whole trip? I'm like, yes. He's like, you know, I would go. Do not tell your mom that. You know, I would go. You know, I would go. Meanwhile, so I've decided I'm going. I've told my friends, but I'm like, don't worry about it. Like trying to be like, I was like, look, if I can't get on the plane, you guys, you two will go. Don't worry about me. You know, I make it or I don't. I get to JFK and, you know, you could check in. You can really do everything online before, you know, it gets to passport check. I get to the line. The guy looks at me, looks at my passport and is like, um, you know, you're going to a foreign country and, and this passport is it's expired. And I was like, oh, my God, don't worry about it. I talked to the embassy in Kingston. They're giving me a notarized <laughs> full confidence. And he looks at me and is like, OK. And that was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, get the hell out of here then. Whatever. Fine. I'm on the flight though. And it's like pretty much all Jamaican. It was a lot of Jamaican locals. I feel on this flight because it was like, you know, really late at, it was later at night. I wasn't on a peak tourist flight. I was landing at three in the morning in Kingston. And I remember on the flight being like, "Uh uh-oh, like what happens if they don't let me in when I get there? But then I was trying to put that to the back of my mind. Honestly, the the amount of boldness that's inherent in this scale, like I wish, you know, I'm, it is what it is. You know, by the way, I don't have any valid form of it. With your level of confidence, I don't even know why you even bother traveling with a passport at all. Literally, though, essentially what I was told at the Department of Homeland Security, but I'm jumping ahead. But so I land in Kingston and I go through last and I go to the front of the, to the front desk, you know, and the woman is like, miss, like this passport's expired. And I was like, I know, don't worry about it. I'm going to the embassy. She's like, the embassy isn't even open for four hours. And I was like, I know, I'm so sorry. Like I talked to the embassy. She's like, hold, wait here for a second. So I'm waiting for like a half an hour or so, or no, 15 minutes. And the head of Jamaican security comes up to the desk and she's like, miss, you're, you're arriving here with a, with an out, with an expired passport. She's like, you should probably get on the next flight back. I'm like, don't worry. I'm just getting a letter. She looks at me and she's like, all right. She's like, you know, I'll let you into Jamaica, but the onus is on you to find your own way out. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like, Oh my God, oh. challenge accepted. So oh, stop. Stop. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Which I respect. Like, look, I'm gonna let you in, but then you're gonna be here without any without any ability to get home. But I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Oh my so, gosh. As soon as as soon as they say something like that to me, I'm like, all right, I'm going back. But kudos <laughs> to you because you know, all right, so carry on. <laughs> yeah, well, so I I don't I was just thinking I could just letter super easily. And when I had been on the phone at, with the embassy, they were like, there's going to be a huge long line of Jamaicans, of Jamaican locals in, in line for a different type of paperwork for their past, for their paperwork. You're going to go through a separate line for Americans. And I just was confident. I just was like, this guy had all the confidence in the world in me. He told me to have a great vacation. He, in my head, I'm like, they know I'm coming. They're cool with that. So the airport, we got to the airport, the, the, our driver was supposed to, Philip Linton, who I'm still in touch with to this day, who is an amazing man, who was our taxi driver to, he was supposed to take us to Montego Bay, 
But because the embassy wasn't open yet, we ended up sitting and my two friends love them. Thank God for them, actually. But I was like, you guys can go to Montego Bay. I feel perfectly comfortable sitting in this airport for four hours. And one of my friends is a little bit more on the more cautious side. And Kingston has a reputation as being somewhat unsafe, although I didn't feel that. And I, I've i spent four hours in much sketchier airports than you know this beautiful palm tree lines airport in Kingston, but they insisted on staying with me. So we sat at this airport until like six in the morning. And then Philip picked us up, drove us to the embassy. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm like really hyping myself up. Like, I got this. I got this. I've gotten the instructions. We got to the embassy and there is, there are probably 200 people in this line and there are armed guards with like big guns, you know, monitoring the line. And I know I'm in a separate line, but I don't feel confident enough to go to the front because I don't want to cut all of these people. And meanwhile, I'm the, I'm the only white person in this, in the line, in the vicinity. So I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to look like I'm cutting this. So, so, I wait, to- so, so not cutting the line is where you draw the line on your confidence. Yes, well, I, <laughs> I knew, I knew I did, and this is a t- traveler's tip. I knew I needed the support of the people. I knew that like, if I tried to duck in, I would be annoyed if I was like, I, and I was waiting since I don't know, I guess, I guess travel tip, get to the embassy at four in the morning. Cause those people must've started queuing. We got there and there was a queue. So I go to the oh, back gosh. of the line. I start speaking to every single person, pretty much like how, when you're catching a flight and you're going through security, but I was like, hi, I'm so sorry. I'm supposed to be in a separate line, but I don't know where that starts. I'm getting, I'm American. I'm supposed to get, you know, a notarized travel letter. And everyone was so nice. This one person was like, I've been in this line for six months, man. Good luck. And then like this late, this girl has no papers. It was, I had the crowd on my side because everyone was like, my God, this girl here has no ID, like blah, blah, blah. Cause I told everyone and I got to the front and I talked to the lady who was managing, you know, the pretty much the velvet rope that lets you go in. And she was like, hi, like, what's going on? And I told her my tale and she, and I was, she was like, okay, who did you speak to? And I was like, um, I don't know. He was working between these hours. And she goes, the reason I ask you is because this is by appointment only. So did you know who you spoke to? I couldn't give a name. All I could say was I was assured I'd be able to get a letter. She goes back to whatever's happening within the embassy. Meanwhile, I'm getting a lot of sympathy from people who are near me being like, uh-oh, girl, uh-oh, this is not going to me. <laughs> I start wandering around and the armed guard like points, not the gun at me, but points the gun at the floor and is like, you can't go here. So meanwhile, I'm like, Jesus Christ, like I am, I am in trouble in this country. I'm here illegally. I'm upsetting the guards. The lady comes out and is like, miss, I'm so sorry, but he doesn't have availability for today. I was like, when does he have availability? And she was like, the next opening is in three weeks. And I, oh my God, like my job won't let me be here for three weeks. My bank account won't support me living here for three weeks. So I I was like, it's okay. She's like, do you want me to make an appointment in case? And I was like, no, I was like, you know, if I'm still here in three weeks, that's like a problem in itself. She's like, good luck. Like, I wish I could help you more. (laughs) I was like, so sorry for me in line. I'm like, Jesus, like, And we'll talk about this later, but I was like, if we were in America, like how different the circumstances would have been. But I was in, this was in January of um, 2016. So 
I called JetBlue and I'm like, you know, I have an issue. I'm in a, I'm in Jamaica. I need not be. And they are just like so stunned that I've made it through to like international security offices. And they're like, okay, your best bet is to go back to the airport and beg. And I'm like, oh my gosh. That's your advice. <laughs> go back to the airport and beg. Go oh to the my gate, gosh. Tell him your sushi. They were like, the longer you're in the country, the harder it's going to be for you to come home because it's. Oh my if, gosh. if I wanted to do anything illegal, I could have because there's no record I ever left, you know? So oh they're gosh. thinking of like, like, we want this girl back sooner versus later before she gets in any trouble. But you know, when you have these moments when you're like, I. I'm, what is my life? How have I miscalculated and like been so careless that this is this moment? I was driving from the Kingston embassy or Philip was driving me, Dana Taylor. My friend Dana was like, well, maybe they'll let you stay because she's an optimist like me. Taylor was like, in absolutely no world are they going to be like, stay here <laughs> legally and do and party for three days. <laughs> so the Blue Mountain football. I'd only really been to the Bahamas before and it was on a post high school trip. So it wasn't, it wasn't twice. I think mm, I've been to the Bahamas twice and I loved it, but this was my first time outside of the Bahamas in the Caribbean. And I was obsessed already, you know, even with, even though the only exposure I had were airport workers and embassy workers, I was loving the vibe. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, it was and I remember just being like, I cannot believe I made this mistake. But so we get back to the Kingston airport. I go to the front desk. I've got my luggage on me and I tell him my story. You know, my passport's expired. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, miss, don't worry about it. How long have you been to Jamaica before? And I was, I was like, no, I haven't. He's like, how long have you been in the country? I was like, four hours. He was like, when are you supposed to leave? I was like, Monday afternoon. He goes, oh, miss, like come back Monday. Come back Monday afternoon. We call a number. You'll be totally fine. And I was like, are you sure? Because meanwhile, I've got the U.S. government and the Jamaican government telling me no. And I've got this one dude at JetBlue telling me yes. And he's like, oh, positive. And I'm like, are you going to be working Monday? He was like, oh, no. And I'm like, oh, working Monday? And he was like, oh, oh no. But I, I liked his, I took it, I took his word for it. I really, I was like, they're either going to keep me here now or, fri- now or Monday. I'll just wait and see. I wish I could say it affected my weekends in any way, but really all that happened was my dad and mom texted me like, let me know if you need an immigration lawyer with like a sunglass smiley face. My friends were like, <laughs> and I had a wonderful weekend. Philip Lipton, my, my, our cab driver, who is honestly, he was probably one of, not one of the first, but yeah, like this is before I started traveling professionally a friend I made that became a real, real friend. Like when he drove us back on Monday, you know, he, we were talking about the history of Jamaica and he talking about a lot of stuff. At one point he was, we were talking about, you know, race and everything. And he's like, you know, we have different, we're different colors, but if you cut us, we bleed the same blood, like, which might sound just like universal and obvious, but it was, we really became, we really got into everything. And he ended up taking me and Dana into downtown Trenchtown to a part of Trenchtown that a lot of tourists don't get to see a lot of white people don't really go to. And he showed us like sort of where he, where he hangs out and it's beautiful. Like all these murals of Bob Marley. And basically we just had, I, it was worth it just to meet him. But so we're about to get to the airport and he's like, listen, 
You go in there, you say, I am American citizen, man. Like, let me go look at this passport. Like I was like, it's expired. He's like, but you got to go in with confidence. And then he's like, but truly like, what's that? Like text me. If you can't, if you can't get home, you can stay with me and my wife, you know, which was really nice. He was offering to put me up if I was stuck. And yeah, we're, we're still in touch. I, I heard from him last a month ago. But so I go into this airport and I'm like a little nervous, but here's the thing. And here's, I feel like a big lesson here maybe is you can't be indignant. Like you can't go in there. Like I'm American citizen. Like you have to be, <clears throat> stay humble to like yeah. Kendrick Lamar. Like, but like, truly, like I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. You tell me what to do. I've got no excuses, you know, and just be nice. And people tend to take pity on you. Versus I have friends who've been in this situation or friends of friends who've gotten trapped because they go in there and they're like, maybe the, maybe the maid stole my passport or I was promised this by the embassy. And mm. this is, I didn't even, I was like, well, I got it wrong with the embassy. You know what I mean? I'm just saying the tactic is you messed up. Get to the front. That's actually the- very good advice to kind of own up to your own mistake. People yeah. actually don't do that. They're like blaming everybody else for their stuff. No. Yeah. And if you're in another country and you blame their embassy or their like their work their people like nobody wants to hear that and it looks really rude and at the end of the day it always is your mistake and particularly when you're traveling and you're in a new place you're gonna make mistakes hopefully not to my expense but just well i mean technically for me i probably wouldn't have left my country but you know there's that but anyways um (laughs) he's like i have to call this number so I don't want this to be a secret trick for people, but she, you call is pretty much this international security hotline and you give the name, you know, the passport ID and such of the person who's traveling and they, and they let you go or they don't. And this lady called the number, maybe 40, 45 minutes later, if you're planning on flying without a passport gets to the airport early, <laughs> you know, you expect to <laughs> so finally calls me up and she's like, miss, like, you're good to go. And I was like, oh my God, like, thank you so much. And I was like, I love Jamaica. I love your country. People have been so kind to me. I'm so sorry to have disrespected the process by coming here with like, my papers were outdated. I will never disrespect um, Jamaica like that again. I'm so sorry. And she was like, please, like, don't, don't apologize. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We move so fast. We forget we're human sometimes. And I was like, oh my God, like only wow. in Jamaica, person reaching out about our shared humanity, you know, at this moment. And it was just astounding. And then, yeah, I'm on the flight home feeling good as gold. I'm like, at least I've got a, you know, birth certificate somewhere here. If they detain me, I'm on U.S. soil <laughs> lands. And this was the, you know, the PS resistance of the whole experience, I guess. I'm going through international security on the way back, which you need to go through. But, you know, I go through everything, whatever. I signed what the flight I was on, but when I get up to the counter to go through, the woman looks down at my passport and looks at the flight and she's like, oh my God, whoa. And she calls over another customs official holding up the line and is like, this girl's returning from Jamaica and there's no record that she ever left the country. And he was like, oh my God. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, don't worry about it. I'm not mad at you. I'm, I'm impressed but I'm going to have to take you to the Department of Homeland Security. So I was like, literally take me anywhere, but like, let me get through this gate. So I'm glad. And this was another thing. I was the only white person in this room and there were huge blow up passports of other people. People look like they'd been there for a while. It was 
it's a part of the airport you never see, you know? And I don't know if it was just for the Caribbean section, but I'm sitting there waiting for a bit, hanging out. And then I get my name is called like Catherine Parker Magyar. I go to the front and the guy has my passport and he's like, miss, you knowingly traveled to a third world country and back without any passport or documentation. And I go, would we call Jamaica a third world country? And he was like, would we say you're in a position to negotiate? (laughs) And he was like, he was like, I should be holding this passport from you. You should be getting this back. He's like, I'm going to be getting a call from Russia. Oh, you know, Catherine's here. She just snuck in, thought she could sneak in. And I was like, please, can I have my passport back? It's got all these stamps. And he was like, look, when are you traveling again? And I was like, I'm going to Scotland in like three months. And he was like, look, give, call this number, reference my name that I sent you for like an expedited service. He's like, don't tell them it's because I think that you're too comfortable traveling without passports to be bothered. And then he was like, welcome back. So I made it all. Yeah, I made it there, back, forth. And then, oh my God, but. Before I began to the tips, I would say like, that was February, 2016. February, 2017 is when Trump passed his abhorrent travel ban. And just like my brother actually wrote a really meaningful thing about it. He's a writer too, but it was crazy to reflect on the treatment that I received traveling in another country and just thinking about the treatment that if if I was a black person, if I was Jamaican in America, and it's just like so alarming. And then seeing, I mean, have Trump anymore, thank God, but just, and then having the travel band where people are, are held back for much less things. It was just, it made me realize, you know, you got to be nice. And I have a couple other tips, but just the privilege that I have where I'm not immediately flagged off by someone is a potential threat. And it just made me feel really sad to think about, I've been the, I've been the only white person in a lot of different places, like in Asia and in Africa and the Caribbean all over. And I've always felt so safe and so cared for and respected. And I think almost you need, I think it's good for all human beings to be in a situation where they are the outsider and they are the person who's the stranger. And I think it makes you a lot more aware of what it's like and also to be aware of like the privilege you have. But that was my one moment talking about, (laughs) talking about that. You know, I'm glad that you actually um, acknowledge that because um, it's, it's a step that, that a lot of people need to take. Um, so that we could all sort of move forward, right? Um, in trying our best to heal what's going on um, with the in, in, inequalities that are are so evident sometimes. Uh, oh my god! So so I think it's great that you acknowledge that because some people still don't, right? So um, I think it's great. And and to add to your point, uh, travel does do that. Travel can easily make you feel like you're the only person like that. But then you also see how they treat you, even though you're the only person that's like yeah. that. And, and so there's lots of lessons to be like travel is so huge in so many ways for so many things that we want to try to fix in it, the world. <laughs> and it makes you, makes you aware of your own small place in the world. It's like the first time I was in, um, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa and Kenya, you know, all of the hair ads were for African hair. All of the models were African models. And it was just, it makes you, yeah, it's, and right before that, actually, I was in Beijing and Xi'an in China. And it's really, it's really important because you realize the world is big. You're a little slice of it. And then beyond that too, I mean, I've had such wonderful experiences where I've been 
you know, where it's just been all, where it's like been all black people or all Asian people or, and me. And I've felt always completely, like I have been really treated really well and felt really at home and fascinated. And then what's been alarming and horrifying for me is that, you know, I think that this, this obviously predates Trump, but I traveled pretty much nonstop for a lot of most of the Trump presidency, actually. And, you know, in the Caribbean and Central America, places where, oh, you're from New York. Oh, I always wanted to move to America. I always wanted to live in America. I talked to people in Dominica and people in Belize who did go to school in America and experienced like violent racism or in Belize, you know, he was like, people didn't know what Belize was. So, you know, my only friends were black because the white people thought that I was, thought that I was black or, you know, just the horrible treatment. And it, it's important. It's important to recognize, particularly at a time now when there is this grappling with systemic racism. And then you see people who try to pretend that that's overblown, you know, Mm. and it's because you never leave your little slice of world. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love I love that insight. It makes me feel so good because I mean, um, just and I know that it seems like whenever we're doing this show, you and I are going to divert into stuff that has nothing to do with the podcast episode, but that's okay. Um, but um, but yeah, just recently, so um, uh, our prime minister, not our prime minister, our premier of the province, uh, his name is Doug Ford, and uh, he just in order to kind of contain the uh the coronavirus because we're you know then our numbers have been going up he created sort of like this martial law type of thing and then and then gave the police all these powers to just pull over people at random and just like stop them and ask them where they're going and stuff like that right and i was listening to a radio show and then you know people are calling in like well you know if you're not a criminal what do you have to hide you don't need to worry about it like and so immediately i'm like yeah, so we know what kind of person you might be if you're going to say something yeah. like that. Because for me, that is like racial profiling waiting to happen. So it's just completely different ways of looking at it. So that's why I appreciate that you acknowledge that that there's a difference, right? There is. So, yeah. there is. We had racial profiling written into the law in New York City um, when Bloomberg was president. Brought up a lot in terms of he was the one who spearheaded the stop and frisk, which was saying if you see. Um, a man, a young man between ages of like, I think it was like 17 to 35, 40, honestly, minority, you are allowed to stop them and frisk them without any pretense of any reason why. And just hearing the stories of like friends of mine who, okay, you think it's a stop and frisk, like people have been beaten up under those circumstances. And people also forget that it is extremely, extremely difficult to have a society. Like the idea of a society is people believe they're being treated fairly. They believe in the institutions when you routinely every week have a violent encounter with the police officer. And obviously mm. we're seeing that with Black Lives Matter. And that's that's still an issue. Of but course. I remember Bloomberg was running for president um, and people had liked him as a mayor of New York. It was like he's not the president for this moment because he stop and frisk predates like what well, doesn't predate. Unfortunately, I think the only difference is we now have we now are all documentary filmmakers and we've got videos on our phone to capture it. Right. But yeah, yeah he the moment because of that. Yeah, yeah we so had that- yeah, we had the same thing. It was just called um carding. That's what they called it for us. It was carding. They're allowed to just walk up to you and ask you for um your ID and just harass you. So we had to put something in effect to stop that from happening. So um yeah, similar type of thing. Um, but yeah, no, I totally hear you. And and it's it's definitely a great conversation that's 
for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 my, my point is though, and the only reason why I bring it up is because I just I want to actually um say it's it's amazing that you actually acknowledge that because I think that's huge. Um, because as I said, a lot of people don't because they're not even aware of the fact that just by them being themselves as a white person or what have you, or even a white male, which is even <laughs> the pinnacle, um, is like they don't see it like how we see it they don't see that they you know i'm not a criminal right so i have nothing to hide but i can't hide that i'm black <laughs> so 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 that's really what it comes down to and other people just don't see that and and so i just want to say that it's great that you actually appreciate that and see that and 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 in by doing so you're going to lead change you know what i mean because when more people that are like you um have that they they are aware of that then it leads to more change um, so I think so. You, you should be you should be proud of that. I just wanted to just put that out there because I think that that's great. Um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this segment is brought to you by GPS My City. Do you love exploring cities on foot at your own pace? Well, GPS My City's mobile apps available on iOS and Android feature self-guided city walks and GPS-powered travel articles written by travel bloggers and travel content creators for over 1,000 cities worldwide. Visit the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, let's break this down. So let's get into your tips and and uh, with regards to this. Um, I know what the first one's going to be. Um, you know, don't travel without a valid passport. Uh, but, you know, well, but unless it's you, I don't know, maybe that's not actually a tip. I don't know. <laughs> well, that should be the first tip is I would put, I would put in your Google calendar. I don't know how you mark time. I know passports expire in 10 years, but truly, 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 truly mark that date. I do think because had I done that or had I known, I wouldn't have been in the situation, but that's too large of a tip because at the end of the day, and when I was saying that I was really privileged and lucky to be a white woman, I think that the tip here also applies to whoever you are, but particularly, you know, I had this experience happen again, and this was two years ago. I was in Turks and Caicos. And I had spent the day because I was in South Caicos, this beautiful Sail Rock Resort, amazing. And I and I flew back to Providenciales, which is like Provo, the main island, early because my friend Alicia Wilson, who's amazing, she lives in Provo. She, I met her in actually 2016, that fall, I think. I was in Turks and Caicos for a friend's bachelorette party at um, Grace Bay. And Alicia was the bartender at the outside beach bar. And we made really good friends with her to the point where she took us out to Club Versace. It's called Versace Versace. And it's like, literally, like it's in it almost like, it looks like it's in a suburban strip mall, but it's this like little room with like crazy electronic lights, amazing music. And we were the only white girls there. It was like very locals only. And it was like Alicia, her husband, Jay. And like, and then yeah, later in that trip, we all went out to dinner. It was only a couple of us left on the trip. So we met like Alicia and her family and we kept in touch for three years. Like after the hurricane, when she was in New York city, we met up in New York and then I was back in, you know, Turks and Caicos again. So she like took the day off and we went and got drinks and I was a little, this is the thing. This is a heartwarming story though. Cause I was really lackadaisical with my passport that day. And I just sort of had it out a lot. And this is valid because when I went to the airport and I went up to the counter before I even got to the counter, I'm going through my stuff. 
and I don't see my passport anywhere. And I'm like, my God, I've lost my passport. But here's how it worked out. I went to the front of the Turks and Caicos security and was like, hi, like I, I gave up, I like gave them my boarding pass and I was like, I'm so sorry. I can't find my passport. And they were like, okay, um, hold on. Like they pretty much held me for a while. And then, it, but then what I did have, and this is what you should have. I had a photo. I had a copy of my passport in my email that I could show them. And that this is the most important thing. I had my passport number. So they mm-hmm. asked me what passport number is. And that's huge. If you can share your passport number, then you can get out of anything. I'm pretty sure I had it memorized by the end, but when you're traveling, just put it in the top of your email. So pretty, pretty much again, same situation. I'm so sorry. I had it this morning. I came over from South Caicos. I don't know if I lost it somewhere, but here's my thing is in my head, even I was like, Oh my God, did someone steal it? You know what I mean? Cause that's can be where your head goes, but your mind goes to a little bit with passports. Mm-hmm. Everyone but then, but that's not number one, not what you should say because it's probably as we'll discuss, not true. But number two, like own everything. Like I was like, I'm so sorry, and and I got through again. And I've got to tell you, I had I know someone who's in the same circumstance, and I gave them advice. I was like, you need to say you're so sorry, you lost your passport, you don't know what happened. And at the end of the day, like my sister lost her passport in the Middle East a couple times because here's the deal: that happens. It really does. You don't want it to. But it does happen. It can fall out. Yeah. People, well, they, particularly in the Caribbean, which the U.S. is a huge market, it's in Turks and Caicos, Jamaica, Bahamas, best interest to let you go home safely and not have an issue. But this sense. girl I counseled, didn't take really my counsel, had a meltdown crying, blamed it. She said that the nurse, that the maid had stolen it from the hotel. Mm. And she held, she didn't make, she was held back for about set six hours, you know? And so I'm saying attitude is everything, but yeah, this is what you really need to do is memorize the passport and photocopy. But here's the heartwarming, here's how the tale ends in a heartwarming way. I'm on the flight and I'm thinking to myself, who could have, and I, and this was even, I don't even, Alicia doesn't even know this, but I was like, what if someone I was with had taken it because I like had left it out. I'd left it with the bartenders. I'd left it. And then I was getting down on myself. Like you idiot. You think everyone's your friend, but maybe these people, maybe people are trying to swindle you. I'm so sad. The next day I I got a fast new passport in Connecticut. Always go to, always go to a state that's not New York city when you're a place that's not New York city when you're getting renewed. But I get a <laughs> call from Turks and Caicos number. It's the cab driver. I left it. It fell out of the cab. So the cab mm-hmm. driver had it. She took it to the airport. The airport's calling me. I call Alicia, my friend. She goes, because they can't mail it to me. She goes and gets it from the airport. And then she gives it to her mom the next time her mom visits. And now it's still with her mom in the Bronx. We're still in touch, but COVID, I haven't been in. And it was so like affirming because, you know, here I am thinking worst case scenario where your mind wants to go. What if someone had stolen it? And then it's like best case scenario. I was an idiot. I lost it. And five different people in Turks and Caicos, including my friend, are helping me get it back. So, including strangers because the taxi cab. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I like that. That's such a, an amazing way to end that because um that's huge. Um, that people for the most part, um, I say 
70, 80, even 90% of the people around the world actually want to help you. Um, it's, it's the few 10 or 15% of people that are actually out to do you harm. So I think that that's actually a very uh, important lesson. And um, this, there's so many uh, great takeaways you already kind of alluded to in your stories already. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that's, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can tell you that my passport expires 2024. I know that. So, so I don't know. Yeah. Like, so I, just, yeah. I don't have my passport here, but I know exactly when it expires. So I don't know. Just <laughs> honestly, write down your passport number and get a photo, take a picture of your passport. And just for me, like if I, I have a huge passport case and, you know, if I lose the case, then I'll lose all my little documents. But email it to yourself and always have it sort of at the top of your inbox or because that's the way, I mean, I wish that I could say that sometimes I'll clean out my photo roll. You know, you just want to make sure that you always have that and you can get, you can survive anything. <laughs> yeah, no, clearly. No, that, that's, that's brilliant. Um, no, this is, what, a, what an incredible story. You really are a storyteller. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for this amazing story. And I can't wait to hear the next one. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the next little meetup. Um, so before you go, let everybody know where they can find you. Hey, yes. Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at Catherine Parker Magyard. And my website is just CatherineParkerMagyard.com. M-A-G-Y-A-R. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Twitter's mainly other writers, but I'm on Twitter at KPM1231 because my name is too long to be a Twitter handle. But <laughs> there we go. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show again. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. All right. Case closed. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget that you can listen to the show over at www.travelhorrorstoriespodcast.com. And if you're listening on your mobile device, please take a second to give the episode a five-star rating and leave a comment. It really helps the show and its episodes get discovered by more people. Plus, your feedback will help me tweak and change the show to make it the best show on the internet. Yes. Cheers. Cheers.